Darrell, thank you so much for that prayer this morning. I appreciate it. We are preparing our hearts this morning for the Lord's Supper. And as we do that, I would like you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Romans chapter 11 and verses 33 through 36. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. The Apostle Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Well, our first, well, let me say this first. If you're visiting with us this morning, I am doing a series on the attributes of God. I started last week with an introduction to the attributes of God. And now one by one, Sunday by Sunday, we're going to be looking at 15 different attributes of God beginning with this morning. And our first point is God's self-existence. Of all the attributes of God, one of the most difficult for finite human beings to come to terms with is his aseity or self-existence. The technical theological term is the aseity of God. It means God is self-existent. So sometimes when you look at a list of the attributes of God, it will simply say the self-existence of God. As I shared with you last Sunday, the late R.C. Sproul used to say that the one attribute of God that gets him the most excited, makes him the most passionate, is the aseity of God. Because in that, he sees the vastness and greatness and awesomeness of God. In this attribute, God is completely unlike us. Completely unlike us. He is very much other from us. And there are four things, four things that I want you to remember about the aseity or self-existence of God. I'm going to repeat these at the end of my message, but the four things are these. Number one, God has neither beginning nor end. Number two, God is not dependent on anyone or anything. Number three, God is the limitless source of all things. And number four, we are completely dependent on God. God has neither beginning nor end. That is very difficult for us to comprehend because we live in an existence where everything has a beginning and everything has an end. That's all we know. That's what we're born into. We have a day of birth. We have a day of death. Every animal, every insect, every creature has a beginning and an end. The heavens and the earth had a beginning, 
but God does not. God has always existed. He has always been there. Before there was a heavens, before there was an earth, before there was anything, God existed throughout all eternity. In Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or, you, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before there were mountains, before God formed the earth and the world, we could say before God formed the universe, the galaxies, before all of that, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In Psalm 93 and verse 2, it says, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. How old is the throne of God? It's always been there. It's from everlasting. A couple of verses that aren't on the screen, just a couple of additional verses. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God was already there. God already existed. And he created the heavens. And he created the earth. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It is that great verse... In the prophecy of Micah about the coming of the Messiah, about the coming of Jesus. And it says, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I have preached on that verse a number of times. It is one of the astounding aspects of the incarnation. That Jesus existed from ancient times, from of old. Jesus always existed. And yet, at a point in time, took on flesh and came into this world. The everlasting God, the one who had always existed, who had no beginning, became flesh so that he might become our Savior. And because God is self-existent, He is not caused by or dependent upon anything else outside himself. No one caused God to come into being. No one, or excuse me, God is not dependent on anyone. And he is not dependent on anything. Okay, we live in an existence where everything is caused by something else. But God is not. Because God is self-existent. As his creatures, our physical life, our spiritual life, and even our eternal life, all have God as their source. They can all be traced back to God himself. The late theologian and philosopher, Francis Schaeffer, used to say that God is the eternal reference point. Everything, folks, everything good in the universe can be traced back to God himself. He is the eternal reference point. 
In John 5.26 it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He wasn't given life. He is life. And we say, how can that be? He is life itself. Therefore, he is the giver of life. When we went through the Gospel of John, we started off, obviously, with John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then it says in John chapter 1 and verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. A couple other verses. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is life. So God created. He created the universe, not by necessity, but for his own glory. And I really want to dwell on that this morning because sometimes that is misunderstood in our kind of innocence as Christians sometimes. We think God created us because he needed us. We think God created us because he was lonely and he really needed our fellowship. Folks, that is absolutely untrue. God does not need us. God was not lonely. Way, way, way before there was any universe, way before there was a heavens and an earth, the triune God had Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had perfect fellowship and pleasure within the Trinity. God didn't create us because he needed us. He created us for his own glory that we might experience the glory and pleasures of God himself. He did it for us. He loves us and wants us to experience his glory and his love. Which leads us to our second point. God has no needs. God has no needs. Everything that God does, he does for his glory and our good. If there is one passage of scripture that I would say is absolutely crucial to understanding the aseity of God, the self-existence of God, it would have to be the passage that I read earlier, Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. If you are familiar with the book of Romans we come to what is known as this difficult section of Romans. Romans chapters 9 through 11. These great chapters on the sovereignty of God. These great chapters on God's dealing with Israel. And it is not easy. Those chapters have been the subject of much debate among theologians for centuries and the apostle Paul comes to the end of that section because chapters 9 through 11 of Romans form this great section and in verse 33 of Romans 11 he says oh 
Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, exclamation mark. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways, exclamation mark. Oh, who can understand the depths of the riches of God, of the wisdom of God, of the knowledge of God? How unsearchable by the human mind are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable simply means beyond full understanding and interpretation. Way beyond full human understanding. And other translations have unsearchable are his ways. And then Paul asks three questions for us, for every reader of Romans 11. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And the answer is no one. No one has fully known the mind of the Lord. Who has been God's counselor? Where does God go for counseling? And the answer is no one is his counselor. He is our counselor. He is the source of all riches, wisdom, and knowledge. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? No one. God doesn't owe anyone anything. We may use human terms like, well, I think God owes me. You know, I've been faithful. I've tried to love him the best I can. I think he owes me. God doesn't owe anyone anything. And then we come to verse 36. Which is absolutely overwhelming. Unbelievable. I pray that you will dwell on verse 36 for the rest of your existence. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All things are from God. Means God is the source of everything. God is the source of everything in the universe. All things are through him. Which means that God is the means, the sustainer of all things. Everything in the universe. All things are to God. Which means he is the goal of all things. All things. Everything. Everything. You name it. The ultimate goal of everything is the glory of God. The ultimate goal of everything is to bring glory to our God, to our creator. It could be stated this way. God is the sovereign source of everything. God sustains everything by his sovereign activity. It's the only reason we live and breathe and exist is because of the sovereign work of God in all of existence. And the sovereign goal of God is his own glory. His own glory. Because, folks, in his glory, we experience our greatest pleasure. 
our greatest joy. When he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, it literally means all things. It includes everything in the universe. This statement could not be, could not possibly be more all-encompassing than it is. So Paul says, to him be glory forever. Amen. As I mentioned last week, I want this series to be intensely practical, not just something that's intellectual or academic. I pray that this series will cause you to pursue the greatest study ever known in the history of the universe, and that is the study of God himself. I pray that there are people in our congregation who will be passionate about the study of God. I pray that there are young men and young women among us who will be absolutely passionate for the rest of their lives of wanting to know God and to learn everything they can about him. You see, the greater our understanding of who God is, the more our own hearts become filled with contentment and satisfaction in him. God invites us. He invites us to bring all of our concerns to him and trust him in everything. I want to say that again. God invites every single one of you to bring all of your concerns to him and to trust him in everything. We often wonder whether God cares about the small things in our lives, or whether he is only concerned with the big things. Excuse me. I love the famous quote from the late preacher G. Campbell Morgan, who once said, if you understand the immensity and vastness and greatness of God, everything in your life is a small thing. To God, everything in life is a small thing. Now, I say that with great sensitivity because I know there are some of you here who have been through intense times of suffering and tragedy. And God cares deeply about those things. But not only does he care deeply about those things, folks, I want you to know this morning he cares about every little thing in your life, every little thing you're worried about in your mind right now. Again, compared to his greatness and self-sufficiency, all things in our lives are small. Yet he invites us, invites us to come to him with all of them. You see, because God is all-sufficient, we can know that there is not a need, not a single need in our lives that he cannot supply. God can supply any need in your life. He is the self-existent, all-sufficient God of the universe. Let me repeat the four things I want you to remember about the aseity and self-existence of God. Number one, God has neither beginning nor end. Number two, God is not dependent on anyone or anything. Number three, God is the limitless source of all things. And number four, 
we are completely dependent on God. In just a moment, we're going to share communion together. And then at the end of the service, our worship team is going to lead us in a closing song. And the closing song that we're going to close with is, to me, fits perfect with this attribute. Not always easy to find songs that fit exactly with a message, but this one does. It is the song we sing, Good and Gracious King. In the middle of the song, it says this, You deserve the greater glory. Overcome, I lift my voice. To the king in need of nothing, empty-handed, I rejoice. We worship, we praise, we serve the king in need of nothing. And empty-handed, we come to him. Empty-handed, we rejoice in him. Let me give you just a brief instruction about our communion service, especially if you're here for the first time this morning. One deacon will pray for the bread and the cup. The deacons will hand out the bread and cup together. And when everyone has been served, I will read a passage of scripture, and then we will eat together, and I will read another passage of scripture, and we will drink together. For those of you who are watching by live stream this morning, while the deacons are serving communion, we encourage you to use this as a time of meditation and reflection. So at this time, we will participate in the Lord's Supper together.